take a deep breath. Was that not magnificent? What a beautiful and powerful name is the name of Jesus. And Jesus said, for all who believe in my name, to those you will become sons of God, daughters of the King Most High. Now, if that doesn't make you cry, nothing will. That the God would leave his throne on earth and come down to earth and bring heaven to us. And when he did that, his love was greater than our sin. What a beautiful name he is. was powerful. Thank you, Juliana. It really was magnificent. How's everybody doing? Did everybody enjoy this lesson? Did you learn that you can have fun as a Christian and that you can enjoy life and you can go to weddings and you can go to weddings with your buddies and your friends? Now, I don't know about you. You may not want to try to turn water into wine, but you can certainly um, see that Jesus loved people. And he loves you this morning. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord Jesus, for that magnificent worship. Thank you, Lord, that you draw us in as we worship you. That you promised that, Lord, when we praise and worship you, Lord, when we come into that place of surrender, you come and you dwell and you inhabit and you draw near. And so, Lord, this morning, I do pray that your Holy Spirit would pour out in this place. God, that you would sow the seeds and water the plants. There's nothing I can say that will make a difference in their lives. But Lord, it's the power of God and the power in the name of Jesus that makes all the difference in the world. In your beautiful name we pray, amen. So I want to begin this morning by telling you a story but before I do, I want to remind you all, we had an announcement last week of this face-to-face uh, -face event, which is um, a part of Drawing You to God. It's a mentoring ministry headed up by Jane Gurley and Ann um, Johnson. And I'm very excited about it because this was in the heart of God, I think, for 10 years. And the women who came from Ohio, both women, wave your hands. These two beautiful women from Ohio came all the way, and um, I believe they are so anointed to, to do this program, to mentor. So Barbara, Dr. Barbara Boatwright will be there on Saturday morning for a, um, a actually a discussion. It'll be questions and answers and a, a dialogue between Joni Jarrett, and, uh, who's also a magnificent woman of God. And uh, it'll be at Seacoast Church, and it is at 9.30 this Saturday, you all. Everyone in this room should be there because this is the kind of thing that is not just an ad hoc addition to drawing you to God. This is the core of who we are. We are a healing ministry. The teaching is what leads us into a place of coming up to the altar rail to get the healing that we need. 
So this is an opportunity for you all to come and to receive prayer and to hear about, she's going to be presenting with Joni, healing the wounds of the past. And she spoke part one, and this is um, going to take off from there. So I hope you will join us. I also wanted to share with you, my good friend Terry Reed wrote a book on the Lord's Prayer that is out there. And um, she's actually on my board of Drawing Near to God. And uh, I wrote the foreword in, in this book. And I'm terribly excited about it as well if you want to get a hold of it. So back to my story. Okay, tell me if I'm clicking, Dwayne. I got in trouble last week. We're just very real up here, okay? Everybody good with that? So I'm in Whole Foods. Am I good? I'm in Whole Foods, and I was buying couscous to make um, a meal that my husband wanted to prepare. And you get the, you know, the bins. You, you do the arm on the bins, and there's different bins, and you can get all kinds of things. And so I drew the arm out, and I put the bag underneath it, and it filled my little bag, but I left the arm partway. You can see what's coming. <laughs> and so it began to spray just a little bit, and I said, oh, that thing, they need to get that thing fixed. And... Um, <laughs> You know how you always blame somebody else? It's really, you know, you? Well, all of a sudden, there's a deluge of couscous that started coming out because the arm dropped like that. <laughs> and the thing just spewed all over me. I was like white snow. And this lady came over and she said, um, do you want me to help you? And by then, we've got a crowd stirring up. Everybody's like, you know, running away from this woman. And I said, no, no, I got this. I got this. I got this. I could figure this out. In the meantime, it had dropped. The couscous bunch had dropped. So then you really have a lot coming out at that point. And I'm like, pride, 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 cometh before the fall. And then I can just hear it in my head, like the policeman, the police patrol from Whole Foods coming down the aisle. Well, I just split. I got out of there. I just left. <laughs> Being the godly woman that I am. I just froze, and so I could see him, you know, the police patrol coming down, the, and I'm like, beats me. Don't know what's going down that aisle. I just, I had to laugh because it made me think of, of the apostle John, who came in, and he's walking along with Jesus, and they're trying to get through Samaria. Now, you know the story that the Samaritans and the Jews did not get along. Well, maybe you don't know the story, but it's another story. Samaritans had intermarried, therefore they're a mixture. Therefore, the Jews despised them. The Samaritans didn't like them. They had a, a war going on between them. So Jesus and his disciples are in Samaria trying to get through, and they would not let them through. And John the Apostle says, well, actually, there were two of them, sons of thunder. He said, wait a minute. We have an opportunity here, Jesus. Let's rain down thunder or fire on them. Do you ever feel that way? You know, do you ever feel that way? And, and, and then you just like, let's go after it. You know, we can do this. We got this. Sort of like me with the couscous. I got this. I don't need any help. And Jesus rebuked him and said, no, John, no. We're not going to rain down fire on them. What we're looking for is transformed hearts. And before it's all over with John, and you're going to walk with me and talk with me, and you're the son of thunder, before it's all off over with, and I go to be with my daddy, you will be a transformed man because you're full of pride. And you're ready to call down fire on those who don't do things the way you want. Now listen to me, women of God. We all have some of that in us. We all have that, 
I want to get even, I want to be justified, I have a right to my anger. Oh, wait a minute, it's, we cloak it in, it's righteous anger. God gets a hold of your life, sister, and let me just tell you something, it is not going to last long. If you are seeking God, he will find you. And the other day, I decided that I didn't want to give the enemy any legal ground because where he puts his stake in our lives, he has legal ground. Where we've agreed with the enemy, he comes in and he goes, ah, but where we agree with God, it makes all the difference in the world. So I am in my quiet time deciding that I just better clean up my generational line and I better repent and I better repent for my sins and theirs and certainly my husband's sins because he has so many. <laughs> and by the time I got through, I said, Lord, okay, so the next day I said, I'm going to do this again. I'm going to do this again. That felt so holy. And I could hear the Lord whisper in my ear, I got this. You don't have to look for things to repent for. All I want you to do is come into my presence. Worship me. I'll show you what you got in your heart. You don't have to go under every rock and say, have I sinned? Have I done this? I'll show you if you seek me. You all, what a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus that comes to us gently that goes to the Apostle John and said, no, 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 you don't get it. We're not going to rain down fire. We're going to love them. Absolute radical love. You see, Jesus is in the business of transformation. And this is the year God spoke to me that this is the year of transformation for this ministry, for you, for the people that are watching by streaming. He wants to get in our messy lives. And just like the Apostle John was transformed, how? By being in the presence of Jesus. I challenge you today to get in his presence moment by moment. Talk to him. I'm like a mad woman in the car. I mean, I really have a heavy foot, and I drive too fast. And so I'm talking to Jesus, help me to not have road rage. Help me to be calm in the car. It's a dialogue. It's a relationship. It's a beautiful thing. So let's just take a moment and do a little um, walk back through history a bit in what we've done in the last two weeks, but more specifically last week. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word came alive as light and truth and broke into the darkness. And the darkness could not be, was overwhelmed by the light. In the beginning was Jesus. And we talked about in Genesis 1, in the beginning God. And I asked you the question, does that make a difference in your life if in the beginning God was on the throne and not yourself? And so we walked through last week. But what I have been concerned with in this study, I love the study, and I love Max Lucado's study guide, but there are gaps in the story. So it is my responsibility, I feel, to fill in some of those gaps. Today we're studying the wedding at Cana, and we're going to look at that as you did in your small groups. But if you will, let me just fill in the gaps a little bit in the Gospel of John. Turn to John. And we're going to look a little bit at John the Baptist, which was the one who came and testified of the Christ. John the Baptist, let's see if we can read some of this. I think it might make more sense. Look in chapter 1, verse 19. And this is a testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites, now this is John the Baptist, not the apostle, who are you, they said. 
He confessed and did not deny. Who are you? He, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, who are you then? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? And he answered, no, I'm not any of those things. Then who are you, John the Baptist? They demanded to know who he was because he was baptizing people. And here is an important thing for you to grab hold of this week. He says, I am the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. He said, I am coming to make straight the way for Jesus. I am coming to declare that he is here, that the Messiah, Jesus, has come from heaven to earth. And then we see in verse, um, let's see, 29, the next day he sees Jesus, this is John the Baptist, coming toward him. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now imagine this with me. All of John's disciples are standing around with him. He has a following. And they're all with him. And he has a big ministry. And he has people listening to him. And he has people watching him. And he's baptizing them. And etc. And he's just got a fan club. And maybe if it were today, he'd have followers on Facebook. And he's just the big man of the hour. The people are asking him who he is. The big kahunas are asking him, are you a prophet? He said, no, I've come to prepare the way. He was a man on a mission. He was a man that did not fear losing every single one of his fan club members because he was pointing them to the beautiful name of Jesus. And I love that, and I think it's a word for us in there, and I really believe it's a word for some of you listening today. Because as he progresses, he said, God already told me that the man who would come in whom the Spirit would rest would be the Messiah. And I saw a dove come and rest on him. So he takes, he said, don't look at me, John the Baptist, Go to him. Now I share this with you because here's the life application. There would be far less competition and jealousy if we realized how unique we are. If we realized the unique gifts that we had. And you know, a few years back, probably actually longer than that, maybe 10 years, I remember recognizing giftings in my fellow sisters in faith. And I remember that my biggest gift is to pull, them, pull that out of them, to exhort and encourage them. You know, I love to teach, but I prefer to tell you how great you are and to get you on the road, up and running, and out here to the streets and to the earth and to the nation to impact the kingdom of God. I feel like that's my mantle and my call. And so, um, and I also have some prophetic gifts going on, so, so part of that is to call out in you what I see in you. And so I tell you this because there's a lot of things, that gifts that I don't have, and one of them is I tend to be a little out there, and my mom's here today, and so... <laughs> don't listen to this part. I'm not quite as organized as the rest of my family. And I, you know, I'll at the last minute go, oh my gosh, what am I going to wear? Blah, blah, blah. You know, I got to do this or that. I'm just always just kind of out there. So this morning I decided what I was going to wear today. And I thought, well, that's a dress and I can't hold my stomach in the whole time. <laughs> so I'm going to put on the Spanx, which are those, everybody know what those are? So I'm putting those on and they get stuck and tangled around my boot. And the doorbell... <laughs> The doorbell rings, and I'm, you know, hopping around trying to visit the people that had to fix my house, and I didn't want them to leave, and I'm trying to get to them, hobbling along, thinking, well, it would be a real monstrous thing if I fell down the steps with my spanks on, and there's the guy at the door, hello, 
And then a very serious text comes in from a sister in drawing you to God who's very sick in the middle of all of this. So I will tell you, I didn't answer the doorbell. He did come back. But, and I got the spanks out of my boot and everything. But what I recognized is I had to embrace the fact that I am a unique person. And you have to acknowledge and recognize. I wanted to be quiet. I have two really sweet, quiet friends that are gentle and you know, just will pat you, and I'm, bring, I'm John bringing down the thunder and declaring things and, and just having spanks in my shoes. And, but here's the thing. Transformation means that each of us, watching by streaming, watching here in this room, each of us has got to love who God created I can't tell you how important this is because the enemy wants you to compare, but John the Baptist has shown us in this text as he looks forward and says, leave me, do not follow me, and go to him. He's the long-awaited Messiah. And so about 10 years ago, I began to look at the giftings in people and appreciate the giftings and bringing them alongside me in ministry. I do not have administrative gifts. The people around me pull their hair out. I mean, I, literally, at the last second, I remembered I needed to go run home and put a belt on because I have to put the, the, this thing on, you know, whatever, this thing, the little whatever. We have to appreciate the gifts that we have. Do you love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind? And do you love your neighbor as yourself? Back it up, do you love yourself? John the Baptist knew who he was. He was on a mission, and he knew he had to point because there was no jealousy and there was no competition. I have some of the most extraordinary women around me, and if I spent my days comparing myself to them, I would be in a puddle, I have to tell you. So we see that Jesus begins to call his disciples, and this is a beautiful story still in John chapter 1, and yes, I am going to get to the wedding at Cana. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples in verse 35 of chapter 1, and he looked at Jesus as he was walking by, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him. They left John the Baptist and went to be with Jesus. And Jesus said, what do you want? What are you seeking? And my question today is, what are you looking for? Security, peace, hope, ease of stress, whatever it may be. Jesus is the answer. What are you looking? Now listen to how they responded. They said, um, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Whoop, went right over their heads. Here they've got the Messiah in front of them. And, and he says, what are you looking for? What are you seeking? And they go, we just want to know where you live. Now, there's a double entendre here because Jesus is actually saying, going to show them where he lives, but the deeper meaning is, what are you looking for? You're not looking for my house. You have a deep need. And so the Messiah spoke, and he began to call his disciples. And you'll have to read the rest of that chapter so that we indeed can move on to slide number one to John chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, our text for today. And what we see in this scripture is that on the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there and Jesus was invited to the wedding and his disciples. Jesus was invited to the wedding. Not only were there in a small village, most of the people were, 
But aside from that, Jesus was not an outlier and an outcast. He came because he was friendly and he had friends and his disciples came and he enjoyed a wedding. Real life lived out in the streets of babies being birthed, weddings happening, divorces, losses of children and finances, real life, worked on the streets of life where Jesus comes in and he does, his, does the miraculous because Jesus is in our everyday life. And that's the beauty of the name of Jesus. And where he is, is where we all should be. And we see the wine runs out, the mama comes, they have no wine. He says, Jesus, and we look at this woman, what does this have to do with me? We'll talk about that in a minute. My hour has not come. His mother says, do whatever you want, he wants. And now we see these six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus says to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they did. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and he said, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you've kept the good wine until now. You can take that down. So what we begin to see is we begin to see a picture of a wedding. Now, I want to frame this with you just for a moment about weddings in general. Let's just take a picture at this, look at this next slide. We see this wedding. It was a friend of mine. I actually took it with my iPhone, so it's not a great picture. But do you see the canopy there? Because in the old days, I thought that was a great illustration. The bride and groom, and we'll talk about that in a minute, they would go underneath that canopy to be um, married. And it was as if, I believe it was called the hoopah. I meant to uh, look it up. I believe it's called the hoopah. But they would come into that and tabernacle, if you will, with Christ, inviting him to the wedding feast. He was the guest of honor, and they would be married in this little um, fixture. You can take that down. You know, a wedding can be so stressful, and I've had two daughters get married, and I know the stress of it, and it's really interesting because my two daughters are totally different in personality. The one is wide open like me, and her name is Hope, and the other one is um, quiet and reserved. And so Hope, my middle daughter, uh, decides she wants to have a wedding like um, Jessica Simpson. <laughs> yeah, right? And I said, well, I think that might cost too much. And she brings me the picture of Jessica Simpson's wedding. And in the church, and actually she got married right in here. In the church there were rose petals like down the aisle and on the seats. And it was really over the top and flowers just um, everywhere. And I said, oh, we probably can't afford that, but we can sure put some rose petals down here. And she came to this building and she said, but it's too noisy when you walk down the aisle. Can we put like a rug down there? So what does mama do? We build, we have a rug built for the, not built, but made. It's back there actually for weddings. They, we donated it so they could use it here. But the point is, it was a big deal. And I was stressed the whole time. It was just a lot of to do, but it was her. And, and Blunt was, you know, fine with it. And he was just, it all worked out. But, you know, we had few details that were not covered in that wedding, I can assure you. We did not run out of food or wine. Now, on the other hand, my other daughter, 
quiet, gentle, doesn't want anybody to see her. She said, you know, I don't want a big wedding. I just want family and a few friends, and let's, let's do it outside in a little tent and not too much food, and I don't need a band and la, 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 and all this. And just totally the opposite. Well, we were so laid back with that wedding that we forgot to pick up the wedding dress, and it gets worse. We also forgot to pick up the little um, flower girl's dress. Now, the other wedding, every detail, click, click along, and then this one, totally radically different weddings. We had to run around and find out who opened, who had the store that was next to the bridal place and call them. My husband knew them to open up the shop at 9.30 for the pictures, so it wasn't, you know, so great. Had we run out of food and wine at that wedding, it wouldn't have mattered, necessarily. But the other one was a different story. Now, you see, Jewish weddings, the young couple was first betrothed. And the man was usually around 18 years old and the girl around 13 or 14. The man gave a dowry to the father. And some of y'all are thinking, I have a 13-year-old. <laughs> the man gave a dowry to the father for his daughter because, supposedly, part of his workforce, because every family member worked in the home, was going to be lost. For the loss of his daughter and the workforce that she brought into the family unit, she, um, he was they got a dowry. You know, he was given a dowry, the bride's father. And so we see this. Now, when I got married, I got married at a very young age, and, and we were both scared to death, and my, my um, husband came with a little piece of paper to explain to my daddy um, my budget, I mean our budget. We had sat down and we'd come up with a budget. And it was just, you know, kind of all crumpled up and his hands were shaking. And my dad said, everybody leave the room. And, oh, I knew it was going to come down. And so my husband sat at the kitchen table. I'll never forget his shaking hands as I walked out with my mother to go somewhere else so that we didn't have a, I didn't have a meltdown. And he pulls this out of this little budget out of the thing. And all I heard as I'm walking away is, are you crazy? Do you think my daughter can live on that? And I'm like, oh. So then he said, come on, son, come back, and you can show the next slide. Come back. Now, he'd already done this to my sister, and he said, come back and look at her shoes. Um, that was, you can take that down. I had already been warned that he had done the same thing to my sister, but um, my wedding was one in which um, I'm of Greek descent, and for those of you who have seen my big fat Greek wedding, um, I would say that it probably was up to par with some of the craziness and the dancing and you all, weddings were meant to be fun. They're also holy and God comes in and his presence come and a covenant is made. And for some of you who have been married and are divorced, I want to tell you that the other name of Jesus besides covenant maker is redeemer. He will redeem the years that the locusts ate. He'll redeem the places that your marriage did not work out. He's a good daddy, and I want to say that up front because you're listening about this wedding and you're thinking possibly about your wedding and the day that meant so much. And so I want us to, to just think about that for a minute. So what we have is the betrothal was a year, and then the groom would go, to the, would go back, and he would prepare a house for his bride that was magnificent during the time that they're waiting, after they were betrothed. And when you're betrothed, essentially you are already married, except you don't have the ceremony and you haven't consummated it. 
that um, engagement is a very big deal back in the, in, in the ancient days. And so we said, he goes and prepares a place. Well, where have you heard that before? When Jesus went and he said, do not fear. I go and prepare a place for you. In my father's house, there are many beautiful rooms. Have I not told you? Be not afraid. And so we see that in that, in that moment, there is always a deeper meaning, the covenant of marriage, the covenant of Jesus, our groom, with us, the bride of Christ. Everything in the Bible has a deeper meaning and a layer pointing to Jesus. It's magnificent. And so we see when the time comes, the bridesmaids begin to process down with the groomsmen. When the house is ready that the groom has prepared, they go down in a big procession. They go to the groom's house. He reads a scripture. He sings. They sing along the way. And then they get the bride and they, they pick up the bride from the daddy's house. Isn't that magnificent? And then we see the wedding ceremony begin, and it lasts from seven, to two, seven days to two weeks. And the bride and groom don't even go on a honeymoon. They stay and party with this crowd. Can you imagine? For weeks on end. It would have been considered a terrible thing to run out of wine. Jesus' mother knew Jesus could help. But Jesus had not begun his ministry yet. He was not ready for this. He was moved, however, by love and compassion. You all, in your lives, miraculous comes when God's love comes to earth. When he hears the cry of his beloved bride, he comes in like a mighty rushing wine. He comes in to fill your empty vessel. Cana was a village near, Na near Nazareth. The wedding at Cana, we see that all of them were invited. We talked about that. In those celebrations, wine was an essential part of it. Drunkenness, however, was a great disgrace. And they actually drank their wine, which was composed of two parts wine and three parts water. And hospitality in the Near East was a sacred duty. Oh, that we would once again take on the gift of hospitality. Face-to-face -face had a wonderful event, you know, trying to promote that gift of hospitality that we see is missing today. I say it's missing because more of us go out to eat than we do having people in our homes. It appears that perhaps Mary had something to do with the wedding arrangements. She was worried when the wine ran out and she went to him. Now here we come to this very troubling passage that troubled me for years. And looking through commentaries and trying to understand it, I came with a whole other idea of what Jesus said when he said, Woman, what do I have to do with thee? It was a common conversational phrase. And when it was uttered with anger, it did indicate a disagreement, when it was uttered with love, basically it means it's, do not worry. You don't understand what's going on here. I have this. Don't worry. Do not worry. I have this. And then the word woman was also misleading. Woman sounds so disrespectful. I've got my middle daughter, Hope. Here we go again. She calls me woman. I'm like, I have a name, and it's called mother. She'll pick up the phone. Woman, what are you doing today? What do you do? She's just like me. The word woman is misleading. It sounds abrupt. It sounds rude. But listen, this is the, th the same word that Jesus used on the cross when he looked at his mother and he said, woman, beloved mom, John will take care of you when I go to be with my daddy. 
It was actually a title of respect. Let's look at slide number four. There were six water jars. Now we want to understand this is pretty much what it looked like. It held anywhere from 18 to 27 gallons. And we see that Jesus says, fill them up to the brim. We want them to know it's a miracle. These were used for purification to wash you when you, in between meals, you'd wash your hands. And also when you came into someone's home, you'd wash your feet because the roads were very dusty. Holding the water, he says, we're going to fill them to the brim. And he did with wine. But they were not made of clay because that was considered that it was impure. They were always, they were chiseled out of boulders and they were very, very heavy. And as John mentions all the details, that's what I love about this gospel. So many details. He says, fill them to the brim. And here's the interesting thing. Every time Jesus did a miracle, and this is a significant point in this teaching, there's always a deeper meaning. Yes, he raised Lazarus from the dead, but he raised it, and the deeper meaning is, I am the resurrection and the life. And yes, he filled these with wine, but he was saying, I am the wine, I am the new wine that has come, and I'm ushering in a new kingdom. We see that in Matthew, in, in the Gospel of Matthew, where he says, I am the new wine, and you can't you can't put it in an old wineskin. I am that new wine. We see where Jesus healed on the Sabbath, and of course he did heal, and that was a miraculous, but the deeper meaning was, I am Lord and have authority over the Sabbath. So anytime you see the miraculous in Scripture, look for the deeper meaning. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you what the deeper meaning is. Now I only have about another minute, and I want to run through this quickly. Jesus fills our empty vessels. He certainly washes us with the water, but he also fills us with his new wine, which is the blood of the covenant that was shed for you and for me. That deeper meaning, he said, I'm not ready for this yet. I'm not ready to spill my blood. I'm not ready to go to the cross. I don't think it's my time yet. But he was moved by compassion. And he said, bring it to me. We will fill these with the wine. And they were totally baffled. And they did not know that in their midst, the wine, the Messiah, was coming to fill our empty vessels. Unbelievable. What do you need a miracle? What water do you have that needs to be turned into wine? Juliana, if you'll come up here. We've stopped believing in miracles. And you know what? They're miracles every day, folks. They're miracles in your homes with your children and your grandchildren. They're miracles in the prayer. Just this morning, I had a miracle. I considered a miracle. I had this literally bolt in my heart. It just was, oh, pray for your precious sister. And I began not, it was a sister in Christ, not my natural sister. And I began to pray for her. And literally within 30 seconds, I got a text from one of our leaders. And she said, pray. Our sister's been in the hospital all night with bolts in her head. She has a, an illness called Chiardia. She was very, very sick. Y'all, that's a miracle. He spoke to me to pray for her. And countless others, I bet, got the same SOS prayer. That's miraculous. Where do you need a miracle today? Open up your eyes to see Christ. As we move into this time of ministry, I want to remind you, in my notes, I was going to talk about Nicodemus. 
I was going to talk about cleansing of the temple, but I guess God had other plans. Please go and read. Because the next time we're going to jump into the woman at the well and you're going to miss Nicodemus who came to Jesus in the middle of the night and he said, Who are you? He said, Ah, oh, I'm the one that says, Unless you're born again and filled with my spirit, you can't enter into the heaven. And then the story about Jesus cleansing the temple. Where do you need to have your personal temple cleansed? Where do you need to see God come in and do a mighty work? Please read through the scriptures. I'm so sorry I didn't have time to go over them. But this morning, as we listen to this and respond, I want us to take a deep breath, and I want you to ask God for your miracle, because he's in the business of miracle as the new wine that fills your vessel. Please come up, prayer teams. You can pray. We'll pray for you in your seats, or come up here to the prayer rail. We would love to pray with you. Amen.
Thank you.